Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. Get some coffee and have a seat. You're going to need a bottle and a seatbelt. This is Game On Business Talk on nationally syndicated radio. We have a wonderful guest for our show today. We're going to go off the grid and talk about a different topic that we uh, usually do. This uh, topic is on glass ceilings and barriers to job advancement for black women in a prison institution. And our wonderful guest today is Dr. Aaron Miller. He's a prison administration expert. He's been in the uh, field a long time. He's going to provide a riveting interview. His background, real quick on his background, he's a prison administration expert. He's a former correctional counselor. He's has spent 13 years in the field, and uh, he has 13 years of experience with prisons and uh, corrections. He's a 20-year veteran of the United States Air Force. He, uh, his education background is impressive. He has a doctorate in education from Grand Canyon University. He has an MA in public administration from California State University at Bakersfield. And he has a BS in management from Fresno Pacific University. I want to welcome my wonderful guest today, Dr. Aaron Miller. How are you doing, Dr. Miller? Yes, I'm doing just fine. How is everybody? Okay. <laughs> Did you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yes, 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 yes. All righty. Uh, tell the audience All a little bit well. something about yourself that they, uh, they didn't know. Tell a little bit of something about yourself. Well, just to go into a little bit more detail about me, I was born and raised in Michigan until the age of about 18 years old. That's when I joined the United States Air Force, like you said. And uh, I retired at 21 years, did three months and five days. I then later transitioned a career into law enforcement through the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And that's where I served 17 years working uh, at the um, Department of Corrections. Uh, and a little bit more detail about my uh, education background, which uh, is, is very prevalent to um, the research that I did. I did receive my um, liberal arts degree in 2003. Uh, bachelor's of uh, arts, uh, majored in management and organizational uh, development from Fresno Pacific in 2006. I went on to receive my master's uh, from California State University, Bakersfield, in 2008. Actually, this is where I wrote and completed a comprehensive thesis. It's called A Project Plan for Breaking the Glass Ceiling Within the CDCR. Uh, hiring and advancement of minorities and women. I then later completed my uh, doctoral education, uh, organizational leadership with an emphasis in organizational development in 20, 2021. The, the title of my dissertation, Retired African-American Women Correctional Administrators Description of the Advancement Trajectory to the Executive Leadership. Now, my a little bit more in detail is I uh, joined the California Department of Corrections in uh, rehabilitation as a correctional officer. I served nine years in that particular position. I then later promoted to a correctional counselor one 
I served five years in that position. I later on transferred to a parole agent one. I served three years in that position and ultimately retired at 17 years. Now, after my 17 years working for the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, I had a few administrative, which could be called uh, special assignment jobs, working with and for high-level administrators. To include, there were um, employee post-trauma program. I worked with that, EPTP. It was called uh, critical response team as a hostage negotiator. In those particular jobs, I um, worked directly with and on behalf of the institutional warden of those, uh, as, a, as I'm sorry, as a spokesman. Wow. That was a little bit more detail about that. Thank you so much. You are well-versed in this particular area. You are a master in this area. We are, can't wait to get right into it. So tell us, um, what is this, and what is, why do we have a problem with glass ceilings and barriers to advancement uh, for black women that work in a prison institution? So what's, what's, what's your background in that, and why does that happen the way it does? What's, why is that so? Well, I think what it is is that it, there's a, a, a huge misconception uh, that I found through my research, um, and it has to do with um, the, the higher your education or the more advanced education that you have that would allow for a lot of doors to open for you automatically for promotion and job advancement. Another misconception is that Black women do not want to work at the executive level leadership, especially at headquarters uh, Sacramento, where the majority of the uh, executive level positions are 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 are, are, are held. I'm just curious. Um, is that from the, uh, the is that the culture of the organization with these institutions that? believe that well what's your what's your what's your thoughts on that what do you mean uh i'm sorry dr miles what do you mean by culture well okay the culture the culture of the organizations with these prison institutions why they feel that they don't think the black women want to be in the executive level or or, or that level of uh, uh in a uh, in a organization well, uh, could you expand on that a little bit well Yes. What it is is that, and thank you for that question, uh, what it is is that um, I noticed throughout my 17-year career with it is that the African-American women, they were being promoted, and they were, unfortunately, they were just being promoted to the highest administrative uh, positions at that time. And um, there's there's a there's a um, a caveat that I would like to explain about these uh, these particular positions. Uh, my research found that there were approximately 36 to 38 wardens, and they were CEOs of these prisons and institutions or facilities. Unfortunately, these particular positions were 
undesirable locations throughout the state of California. They were, uh, there's a prison way up at the Oregon, California uh, state line. Uh, there's uh, in Central California, they're in rural areas. There's some of them are two hours away from any major city, two-hour drive. And uh, there's some in uh, Southern California. There's a prison located um, down at the uh, Mexico, uh, um, uh, uh, California uh, state line. So uh, with that being said, once again, they're very undesirable locations. Uh, there are also two commissioner boards, uh, teams, I'm sorry, two commissioner teams, and uh, they comprise of uh, 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 commissioners that um, run the um, parole hearings. Unfortunately, uh, the qualifications for those particular teams are uh, you have to have a JD, and um, the deputy commissioners they normally don't uh, the, the, they they don't require the um, uh, um, the JD degrees. And then there's also, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was okay. Uh, and, and and then there's also uh, two positions that are directors for regional parole paroles directors, um, one in Northern California, one in Southern California. And then there's 30 to 40 different executive staff members working at headquarters in Sacramento. Now, I said all of that to say that every last one of those positions are uh, appointed by the state governor. So oh, uh, once, right. once okay, again, it... It, yeah, and it limits the uh, availability of those particular jobs, and once again, uh, undesirable. And collectively, it's not um, the availability is not what one would normally think, especially you, if you're qualified. Yes, sir. Now I see especially why. Especially if you're qualified. Now I see the pattern when you just outlined it, because you're saying. They have appointed to those positions, so that means it could be political. And if somebody doesn't like you, they don't appoint you. If somebody doesn't know you, they don't appoint you. Is that pretty much it? That is exactly how it works. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And they always appoint their buddies, I assume, right? Uh, whoever the governor likes. Uh, is that how it works or whatever? Well, the, 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 the recommendation goes up. Mm -hmm. uh, for appointment, and it's normally someone that they um, uh, have selected, and it's um, traditionally has very rarely been um, women of color, or I'm sorry, black women. Wow, 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 wow. What's the racial composition of the appointments based on your research? Uh, once again, uh, there were a few uh, uh, undesirable reasons why that they um, uh, weren't getting appointed. And um, even though I said about warden, they will allow them to be wardens. And that's 
definitely a um, an appointed position by the state governor. Mm-hmm. However, all of those different positions that I named earlier, they are all what is considered out in the field. They're not, uh, although they are adjacent to headquarters um, in Sacramento, but if you're a warden, you're the only executive at that institution and you work out in the field. And just like the parole commissioners, just like the regional directors for paroles, and it's only two of those positions. So very selective. They will appoint them, and they have in the past. However, those particular appointments are considered being out in the field. There is normally um, only a answer to uh, a hierarchy in Sac- to Sacramento even though it appears as though you're running a full institution or prison. Let me ask you, Dr. So do you see how, to, see how that works? <laughs> yes, yeah, sure, no problem. Works. Let me ask you. I think it's a delay, but we'll get through it. Um, I want to ask you, oh. um, is that for both men's prisons and women's prisons if they do that, or are they all, they're all one and the same with that? Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. And let me expound on that a little bit. And um, what it is with that, uh, they're in, they're in co- competition to get those type of jobs, those uh, executive level jobs out in the field, I'm going to say. However, my research found that 99% of the African-American women that I interviewed and took part in my research were more educated, more qualified, and more experienced than their men counterparts. Is that right? Oh, wow. Oh, totally, totally. Um, The men seem to have, appear to have, derogatory information in their jacket or in their personnel file. Uh, However, they were uh, uh, promoted in certain cases. Uh, They were a lot less qualified, a lot less educated, um, because you, the qualifications for being a correctional officer is just a high school diploma. What? So, yes. Yes, you can actually make, you can now, now today's um, hiring, you can start off having a high school diploma making six figures a year. Wow. In the Department of Corrections. Yes. And those are the guys that and work, work in prisons. Is that right? The yes. Lord, yes. All that I have, stuff. Yeah, the guards, starting off in the guards. But you can uh, elevate, and they allow for transfer or lateral transfers to higher positions mm-hmm. once without the education requirement. There is no education requirement, it, only by position. If you work at a, say, for instance, you promote to a sergeant position mm-hmm. with a high school diploma, 
well, then you can, you're eligible to take the test for higher positions and go and move up the ladder like that. Now, Dr. Miller, i got to ask, this is eating me up. How's a guy going, that just has a high school diploma going to take a test for promotion and do well on it? I mean, tell me what you think. Let me see. How can I put this? Uh, it's some that are and want to promote. So it's a matter of taking that opportunity and time to uh, 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 study. And some of them don't have the capacity to go to college, but they have the desire and the drive to sit down and study for a certain amount of time and take the test and do well. So maybe for instance, their, their, their life didn't allow them to stop and go, okay, it's time for, I'm out of high school. It's time to go to college, but they are very well capable of, you know, taking a test. So they could, they could learn the test and then get through the test and get, and then move yep. to the next level. Okay. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yep, and that's how that's that's how it's done. That's exactly how it's done. Dr. Miller, hold that thought. We're going to take our first break. This is our first segment. We're going to get into our second segment. This is Game on Business Talk. We'll be right back with our wonderful guest, Dr. Aaron Miller. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game on Business Talk Radio with Dr. D'Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with DNC Miles. We're going to continue our show on glass ceilings and barriers to job advancement for black women in prison institutions. We have our wonderful expert, Dr. Aaron Miller, uh, prison administration expert. And I want to really piggyback on what you said in the first segment. Um, well, let me ask you this, Dr. Miller. And I, I did realize the uh, education requirements were as minimal as they are. Well, the black women, do most of them, or most of the women in general, not just speak, speaking generally, including the black, the women have more education than the men do, uh, uh, usually. Like I assume they got a, a bachelor's and probably a master's degree. What's, what's, what's your experience based on your research? Well, my research discovered that it's the, the African-American women had uh, – a lot more education. They had uh, had a few of them that even had their JD degrees. Um, wow! A and of course, degree. they worked at. Yes, they had their law degrees, and they worked as a commissioner, which was what ma major requirement. But once again, that was an appointment by the gov this, the the state governor. Uh, out of the fifteen uh, of my participants, uh, I had. Two with JDs, law degrees. I had uh, five that had uh, their. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, five. Five that had their uh, at least a master's degree, and I had um, the rest were um, bachelor's degrees. They were no highly one had educated. Highly educated. Highly educated. 
And the, the connection to that is a lot of them did want to promote and they did want to go to um, the executive positions and things of that nature. But there was a lot of deterrence, a lot of deterrence. So now, now, based on what I'm hearing from you now, they're just being blatant because they say that the, they, I guess, they're, and I've, you've seen this on job applications, I'm sure Dr. Miller would else say, you either have a master's degree or this many years of experience, and that gives people that don't have any education to be just as qualified as you, and there's definitely a disparity. Is that what, what I'm, what, what, how they're doing that, pretty much? Uh, uh, yeah, I would say yeah. They uh, once you get up to the high administrative positions, then you are you're taking a, more of a written a written test, and that is sub subjective. That is just uh, uh, how they oh. filter out. Oh. So they it all it overrides the education part. That's why a lot of the um, the black women were frustrated. They know they did well, but once again, those tests that they take, they're no longer sit down written tests and you bubble in the questionnaire. No, you're taking uh, uh, a type of uh, uh, scenario and mm -hmm. uh, paragraph response test. So once again, it's subjective and therefore, if they want to promote you, they will promote you. And the black women are highly more educated. Um, I, from my own experience, I can remember having my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting on a panel. I'm not sitting on the panel. I went for an interview for a particular uh, job position. It was yes. a promotion. Yes. And the three individuals on the other side of the table, uh, two of them had their high school diploma and one had their bachelor's degree. And they all were mid-level administrators. And they were asking someone questions, why are you qualified or what makes you qualified for this position? And here it is. I'm sitting here across from them with a master's degree. That had to be an interesting interview, <laughs> say the least. Yeah. Were they, did they use yeah. your education against you in the interview? Like, did, did they try to minimize it? They can. They can do it. Um, but what you have working against you or against anyone that uh, tends to uh, pursue higher education, and that's the unions. See, everything that union is a powerful, a powerful network. Just like uh, the police. The union. Oh my God! Yeah, and I, I, I have an, another uh, 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 theory on how that all works: the hiring practices and the connection with the unions, but. I digress. I'll go back to what we were talking about. Um, yeah, those the union is the one who has to approve any type of qualification process. So if, yeah, if they don't approve 
they can or cannot approve for you to be or have higher education in order to promote to different positions. Wow. So if they don't, because the masses of those officers, when they start off, Mm -hmm. they don't have, uh, 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 all they have is a high school diploma. So they need to uh, promote because the way it goes is, you know, you promote, you know, mind, same mindset, uh, 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 the same. Uh, you promote and you support and encourage those that, you know, go to school and, you know, you, you don't reward them, but you, you compensate them for going to school. So these guys By, sitting up here on this panel or 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 asking you questions because they're they're I guess they're relying on their work experience and they're asking you questions and they just don't have the level of uh education that the applicant usually has. And you was that nope. your experience pretty much? Yes. Yes. Yes, that was that was my experience. That was just the way it was for many, many years. And once I started pursuing my education, I was definitely an advocate of why aren't folks getting promoted? And that's what I ended up seeing and noticing because a lot of my mentors were African-American women because it appeared as though every last one of them, especially the ones I worked with, set aside from the ones that I that, that participated in my research, they were all educated, minimum of a bachelor's degree, minimum. And that's and you say so, yeah. that's just a minimum, and and even a bachelor's degree is better in terms of better than a high school diploma because I'm sorry, it's just a difference. Well, I mean, is that what you think? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, and and they, they 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 saw that to be a threat. They saw that to be a threat because what I saw and what you could do relate this to Dr. Miles is you know our uh, Supreme Court nominee. Uh huh. Oh right, right. Jackson. Yes, you could definitely draw a straight line straight across. Same same thing. Uh, they have to respect them. They have to listen to them, and uh, I'm referring to black black women, African American women, mm-hmm. and um, uh, uh, it's going to be a different interaction than it is with an African American male. But that's the culture that they have in the Depart- California Department of Corrections. So that's, that's pretty much the key why the women are having trouble breaking a glass ceiling is because they're they're uh, using minimum standards as to almost they almost weaponize it because they're almost saying they can discount your education attainment right or education credentials and a JD that's a hard that's a hard degree a law degree that's pretty that's a serious serious uh, 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 education attainment. And how do you how does somebody yeah. with a high school diploma think that they could minimize someone who has a JD degree in in their in their field? How, how do you do that? Well, it's not at that level, and I'm, when I say that level, I mean it's at the 
at the institutional level. Now, the, the ones with the JDs, the very, very, very few, they will either grab them and pull them into Sacramento, but you have to want to go to Sacramento. Okay. It's very heavily political, political in Sacramento. So a lot of black women that are qualified, that are um, experienced enough to be and work up at uh, those executive positions, don't desire to go to Sacramento headquarters and work at the executive level is because of the political climate. And they know, they, under, they understand that uh, um, um, they don't want, they're more educated, but there's going to be resistance when these uh, white men and white women have to take orders from a black woman. Oh, that's what it is. And that's where uh, a theory I also used in my research was the glass um, the glass um, was it the glass the glass cliff. The glass cliff played a huge uh, uh, um, theoretical um, designation to my uh, research. Could you explain the glass cliff? Well, you know, some of the people, our listeners, you know, not familiar with your background, you are a master to say, what's the glass cliff? What's the basic theory of it? Yes, it, and that's quite true. I found that a lot of people, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know it existed. Uh -huh. However, um, and just to give a little background on the glass, the glass cliff, it, what it does, it, it identified as the ability for women to attain advancement only when the conditions within the workplace for which he and have been promoted to experience prior or continuous problems. So to say what, what it is in short terms, they would promote these women mm -hmm. to the position or offer these positions to these women it was if it, the position was screwed up. It it wasn't a productive position. So they would promote them to that. And what what it is is that they would be promoted to a fix it situation. Come in and fix this, and then they would move them out. Wow. That's that's what the glass cliff is all about. So if they're not successful then they 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 sink they, or swim exactly but then they can say they they promoted them so it's almost like they they it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're going to be a, a a failure or not be successful exactly exactly and the the the, the black women got pretty smart in the fact that when they would get the phone call and offered the position they would make phone calls they would make phone calls to find out, hey, such and such said there's a job opening and they want me to come up to Sacramento for this particular job. What's going on? And they can find some allies that will say, uh, excuse me, but you probably don't want to come up here because Chuck, Chuck messed it up. 
It, it doesn't. It doesn't function, and they're probably hiring you to come up here to fix everything, and then let you go when it, when things are fixed and bring Chuck back, right? There you go. Or bring 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 a, a Biff, bring a Bobby, bring a Bobby into the position, because because Cliff is probably gone. Some uh, uh, Charles is probably gone somewhere else. Once they relieved him. They just lateral him somewhere else where he can't be seen. But he'll keep his job. They'll just change his title. So it's basically, basically, but, you're advocating for uh, a guy that shouldn't, that messed up, probably should be fired. But they're going to keep him. They're going to keep him on the line, just so because they can. That's what they do, right? That's what that's what they do, and that goes back to. What I was saying earlier, undesirable. See, once those, once those, uh, those, those, those admit administrators yeah. call up to find out about, do a little research, a background check on the job that they have been offered or may be offered, then that gives them the leverage to say, when they do get the phone call to say, hey, look, we want to, you know, call you up so you can come interview for this job. That gives them the leverage to go. That's okay. I, that's okay. I'd rather not. So they learn even though the it's a promotion, they learn it. And guess what? Then they don't get to go to Sacramento. Then they don't get to go. Then they they choose to turn it down. And a lot of them have. Uh, it's more. It's more. It's more cons than there is pros in for black women. I found through my research when it comes to them relocating. Because they have to relocate their entire family. They have to relocate. Yeah. So coming down from, like, say, for instance, Sacramento, and they are a uh, chief deputy warden at the prison. They have established. they got teenage kids. They're established in high school and um, uh, possibly a single mom. They have to make that decision to be relocated all the way to Sacramento. Dr. Miller, can you hold that thought? We're getting towards the end of our uh, second segment. We're getting ready to go to our third segment. Can you hold that thought? We'll pick, we'll pick up right back up on that. This is Game sure. on Business okay. Talk. Hi, this is Game on Business Talk. We'll be right back. We have a wonderful guest, Dr. Aaron Miller. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game on Business Talk Radio with Dr. DeAnthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with DeAnthony Miles, and we're going to continue our show on glass ceilings and barriers to job advancement for black women in prison institutions. We have a wonderful guest and expert, Dr. Aaron Miller, prison administration expert. Uh, jolted by that last segment where you talked about uh, the, uh, the terms of upper mobility, it's almost like they're being sabotaged in a way because they got to go in when that it's almost like a, I'm off your promotion, but it's going to be something ugly. And I'm in, I mean, Dr. Miller, is that pretty much the standard for that in terms of advancement? Absolutely the standard. Not only did I use those theoretical framework, the glass cliff and the, the glass ceiling, I also used um, uh, uh, the black feminist thought. I also used that as a, um, um, uh, when I looked at um, promotion advancement and 
um, drew an intersectionality for race and the and the and the gender. So yeah, all of that was um, definitely um, uh, uh, foundation for how I could uh, draw a conclusion on what was going on. And I also uh, like to state, Dr. Miles, that I also used um, uh, I attempted to draw conclusion with uh, um, critical race theory. However, um, I had to transform that over to critical social theory, and then I used that in conjunction with the black feminist thought theory. Okay. Is uh, critical social theory, is that the precursor to critical race theory? Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. You're, you're, so it came before. You're the master of that field. I still don't understand, you know, critical race theory, actually. I'm actually doing a second show on that <laughs> because I'm still conflicting on terms of what it is. But uh, that's an interesting amalgamation between the two. So let me ask you, what are some other issues with the prison administration and job advancement with the black women in these in, in prison institutions? What are some other issues that they're dealing with? Is it nepotism? Is it... Uh, in fighting, what's what's been your experience based on your research? What are some other issues? Well, let's go with um, what I found through my research was I used um, uh, racism, uh, sexism, and um, sexual harassment, and those were uh, the three topic questions that I. Um, uh, interviewed with the women, and um, it was either or, or some of them even uh, replied with uh, all three of those um, subjects were a part or experience that they did, had throughout their careers. So um, let me just say that um, they became very emotional interviews uh, when these women had or needed to kind of regurgitate some of their experiences. It was very, very difficult for them. We even had to stop some of the interview uh, session so they could gather themselves. And I could gather myself because, you know, I had to stay impartial about the whole thing, but uh, so they were uh, – experience these, these things early on in the development and the um, uh, when you, CDC are started. Right. Did you say sexual harassment? Did you say that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, wow. I would say out of the, the, the 15, the 15 of my uh, participants, uh, at least seven, seven to eight of them, uh, uh, experience some sort of sexual harassment, and, I, so, and I, that's also a deterrent. That's, and that's also, assume, Dr. Miles. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I also assume it was difficult for them to talk about that because it also made them relive it to share that with you. I assume. And and that's what I that's what I wanted to reiterate is that that's what made the the interview process emotional at times because they had to regurgitate it. Um, wow. I even had a couple A couple of them said that uh, I'd rather not. I had some potential um, interviewee, uh, potential participants that 
once I told them or they saw the letter pertaining the questions that will be asked, yes, that they re they they declined to participate. I've got to ask so, you this. This is this is uh this really piqued my interest. So, do, are you saying that some of them? took a promotion because they played the game, and if they want, it's almost like if I want this, I have to do this. Is that pretty much your understanding of them? Well, no. And that's why they became stagnant with their promotion is because they would not uh, participate in it. Okay. In, okay. In, in, they, they, they would not. They would not. So they kept their dignity. Absolutely. And some of them, and some of them shared their, uh, as we would say, their black woman attitude, and that was another reason to justify on, to justify them not getting promoted, um, because they weren't going, they weren't going to tolerate the disrespect, they weren't going to tolerate the sexual harassment, they weren't going to tolerate the racism. They weren't going to tolerate the sexism. They weren't going to tolerate the discrimination. It just wasn't going to happen. So they, that was a choice. Absolutely. That was a choice. Uh, I'm afraid to ask. I'm sure there were some that declined the interview with you because they actually took that other route. Is that what you kind of conclusion you came to? Uh, yes. However, um, uh, we took all the, the demographics on one of the individuals, but to to secure their confidentiality and um, identity, um, that individual was not allowed to be um, uh, to be uh, participate in the entirety of the um, research. You decide, did you make that decision? I assume, Dr. Miller, because uh, that could be traced to them, I assume. And I'm just shocked. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Was she real candid yes. about that with you? I mean, because I know you didn't use any of your interview with her. She was pretty candid about it. Is that right? She sounds like she knew how to play the chess game. Is that basically what you got from the interview? I believe that would be. That would be uh, part of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's in, I take it, you know, this this is not one industry in particular. There's always going as long as you have men and women working in a, a, a organization or industry, sexual harassment is going to be is going to be there. It is. Is it hard to enforce not having a climate like that? I'm pretty sure it is, especially if it's a male dominated field, right? Right. Yeah, wow. sexual harassment was very prevalent, um, especially these women coming up through the ranks. And their story all normally happened earlier on in their careers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the sexual harassment. And how they dealt with it was an important part of how they got promoted. So um, sometimes it took uh leaving the institution and relocating to other institutions where they would like have to like start all over i'm curious and then they would, they, i'm yeah, sorry go ahead, mm -hmm. go 
I, I was going to ask you, did any of them report? Oh, they just played the game. Because it sounds pretty I'm sorry, you broke up. I'm sorry. Can you hear me you, now? You broke. Yeah, yeah, you're clear now. Okay. I was asking, did any of the women report this to the uh, HR departments while this was going on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did they get but, any support? Um, uh, not at all. Uh, some of them did. Some of them didn't. However, they had to take on what I found through my research is I, uh, these women had to take on a more firmer position as uh, a more masculine, a more masculine type of position, stand their ground, and not allow for those type of things to, to take part, to take place. So when they did, uh, there were a few that did indicate they know by reporting those incidents mm-hmm. that it stagnated or ceased their any upward mobility, any advancement, any promotion. They knew that for a fact. Now, and some of them were told. Some of them were in. Some some of them were even told that once you uh, report, you you're not getting reported. You're not getting promoted because you reported. You told on such and such. Now, were these direct supervisors, or was it somebody on a food chain that was deciding whether they would get appointed or not? Which one was it? The perpetrators. The perpetrators is uh, it. It varied, and a majority of them that did uh, experience that horrific uh, um, uh, episode in their life, um, they were normally immediate. Some of them were peers. Some some of them were peers. And a lot of them, I would say the majority of them were in their food chain or, excuse me, their job. Uh, hierarchy, but not direct, but indirect supervisors. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And those are some of the questions that I asked them during the interview. And once again, some of them became very emotional about it. Uh, but a lot imagine. of them also, too, yeah, a lot of them, too, were not just the sexual harassment, but a lot of discrimination. A lot. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I'd like to Please expand on that. What type of discrimination practices were they doing that they experienced that they Oh, know my God. You? And thank you for asking that question. Um, I had a few that came in the department when there were some of the first African-American women and some of the first women that came in to the California. Women were not allowed into the Department of Corrections in California until 1970. That's when they first started coming in. So some of those older institutions, they didn't have facilities built for women. So here's a story for you. Uh, Actually, it was more than one. They don't know it yet, but once they read the book, the 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 dissertation, they'll they'll be able to see. 
there was a couple of them that had uh, instances where since there wasn't no male facility, women, female uh, restrooms, that when they would be working together in a building where there were nothing but inmates, over 200 inmates and two officers, one male officer and one female officer, there was an instance where one of the women had to have, they have to have uh, their counterpart guard the door when they go inside to use the bathroom. And on several occasions when they would go in, this was back in the early, early 80s, late 70s. Right. When when um, they would go into the bathroom and because they'd have jumpsuits on. Right. And their jumpsuit, they'd have to take off their equipment, jumpsuit, use the bathroom, come out. And there was on some occasion that uh, one particular occasion where she said she came out and her peer, her partner, was gone. And so when she came out, she was unprotected, unsecured, and 200 inmates standing by the door. Was that on purpose? Of course it was, because the story goes, she immediately pressed her alarm so everybody could come. So, and that means that something was wrong. Her safety was in jeopardy, and that's why you push your personal alarm. So when they got there and they had a meeting, the sergeant said, oh, I apologize. I needed him to come over to the office to do something. Are you serious? For me. Yeah, so it left her unsecure. She could have been killed. And those men looking at her by herself, they know what's up, right? And some of them, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And some some of the men, uh, there was an instance where um, there was a, a black female that said that her first day, her first day, um, her sergeant, he asked her to her face, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Mm-hmm. So don't think that I'm, you're going to get any special favors. Does she know what, what team and he was he, on, and, huh? <laughs> of course. He, he, it, and back then, it wasn't no secret. They, you could openly be uh, 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 a racist and fly your, your, your Confederate flag, carry it with you. You could, you could have it sewn in on your, on your uniform. That is absolutely disgusting. Wow. Doc could feel for these women. Listen, Dr. Miller, can you hold that thought? We're getting into uh, the end of our segment. We're going to be last segment. Can you can hold that thought. We'll uh, take a sure. break. Hi, this okay. is uh, Game On Business Talk. We'll be right back with our wonderful guest, Dr. Aaron Miller, prison administration expert. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk. We're going to continue our discussion or our show on glass ceilings and barriers to job advancement for black women in prison institutions. We've got my wonderful guest expert, Dr. Aaron Miller, prison administration expert. Dr. Miller, I'm just uh, stunned. This is one of the most riveting interviews that we've done on this show, and I cannot believe 
in uh, the 21st century. We still have these practices going on at, at some of these uh, jobs and uh, companies and these institutions. Goodness, can you piggyback on uh, the discrimination practices? Could you elaborate on that some more? I was really uh, touched by what you were sharing with the audience. What are some other discrimination practices that the women said they experienced? Well, it was most it, – it had a lot to do with, like I said, just um, openly being racist. Some of them let it, let it be known, uh, especially supervisor positions. Um, uh, just the the telling these women that um, uh, uh, you don't belong, um, we're not going to help you, um, you're on your own, and um, they really, really, really had to uh, uh, were on their own. Uh, and some of the other other things that they experienced was uh, just once they became. Uh, supervisors on the administrative level, then it they started experiencing different things like uh, openly disrespectful, like subordinates would just not answer them. I had a couple of them that said that they would be running a meeting and some some of the the the, um, the white guys would fall asleep. In a meeting that they're conducting, just what? fall asleep, and and then what she would attempt to uh, try to wake them up and say what is going on, and they would be so open about the fact that they would make a statement and say, well, if you were saying something important or interesting, maybe I could stay awake in front of the whole team, just open so, contempt like that. Yeah, just like we don't care. You you don't you don't mean nothing to me. And these are their coworkers and colleagues. No, these are their subordinates. <laughs> these oh, are the subordinates. My oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, I have one that said that um, they would. She was in charge. She was in charge. She was like the the lieutenant. Mm-hmm. She was she was like the captain, so she was in charge of the entire. Uh, they say yard. Yard is a fa- a whole um, facility inside the institution. Mm-hmm. So she was in charge of it. And if an incident happened, she is supposed to know everything that's going on. They would in front of her they would have their own meeting and not invite her and not inform her, not tell her, not educate her on what happened. So yes. those are the people that all these people worked for her. And they were and she told sabotaging her. Sabotage. 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 Wow. Exactly. So it was it was pretty frustrating frustrating. So, you know, those same type of people would surpass them, promote them, promote these these folks and move right past them and make it all the way to Sacramento. Now, wow. when time comes for them to promote, the black woman to promote, and there's a job opening in Sacramento, 
Well, they already had experience with these individuals that's sitting in Sacramento with a high school diploma, and she has this master's degree and gets offered a job in Sacramento working for the very the very same person that was insubordinate by sleeping when she was conducting a business, a, 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 a meeting. When she was conducting a, a meeting, he was sleeping, or he was the one who was uh, her lieutenant and told her, we didn't invite you because we got this under control. It's her facility, but they decide what they're going to do on their own facility without the supervision of the person that is in charge. So they basically took that, her power, authority from her. Yes, took it away from her. So these are the same people that are in Sacramento. So she gets the phone call, come up to Sacramento, and working for the people that, you know, uh, mistreated her. And, she, and, and that's, that's another deterrent. That's another deterrent that she'll go, nope, that's okay. I'd rather not go up there. So the Sacramento, I guess, uh, facility is riddled with this kind of stuff? Yes, all over the place. I mean, there's history. There's history. I'm going to say this. In the past 10 years, I'm going to say even today, even though there's a, uh, a, a female that is undersecretary, undersecretary is the very first person in charge of the entire entity of California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Her education level, her education level is an AA degree, and she's undersecretary. And they're allowed to get away with this? There's no, there has not yeah, been any you can't do it. You can't, you can't, can't do it. Can't, can't do nothing about it. Now, that's out, out of the jurisdiction of the union. That's, that when you get in, when you're getting into the directors of the different departments and branches, now you're talking all of those folks are uh, appointed. They're CES positions. So it's a, it's, they maintain a standard good old boy system. It's hard to get promoted. Oh, they have it to assist. I wrote about. I wrote about. I wrote about the good old boy system in my dissertation. Could you expand Absolutely. on that? How, how prevalent it is over there? Is it pretty, pretty, pretty entrenched? It's the way it is, and that's how I discovered. Um, it starts in the very beginning. Um, people think, and this goes throughout. The, all depart all law enforcement departments. Okay, mm-hmm. um, they all start off people thinking that there is a three or four tier process when you're applying for law enforcement, corrections, any of those entities. Well, people think that there is a application process, there's an interview process, there's a physical agility process. And then there's a background process. Mm-hmm. Some of them have all four. Some of them have three. 
But there is a unwritten, Dr. Miles, there is a unwritten tier that nobody, it's not, not on paper, it's not on any instructions, and that is sponsorship, cosign, or vouching. That's not written down nowhere. You will never get on any police, law enforcement department if someone doesn't stand up and vouch for you. Doesn't matter how well you did or you aced the um the interview. You 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 killed the 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 physical agility test. Mm-hmm. You mastered the psychology test. Okay. You, you you seem to be sane and you're right. But someone that background investigator is gonna go around and ask people who knows this guy? Who knows this young lady? If you don't pass that particular one, it doesn't matter how well you did on the other other portions. It don't matter. You're not going to get on. And that's what I discovered. That's what that good – that keeps the good old boy network going throughout all the law enforcement departments. All of them work like that. Wow. All of them work like that. If so you don't have a person vouching for you. So do they put more importance it, on that than everything else? Everything. That is the way you get on. You could you could be horrible. You could be horrible test taker. You could you could pass it and make the minimum. Say you got uh seventy nine or seventy five percent on your written test. But you did okay, you did average, you did, you're physically fit, you can get past that. You passed the psychological test. And then you did okay on the interview test. But then you're not the cream of the crop. They can just easily throw you to the side. But you get the background check and they start asking questions about you. And then you got cousins and uncles and brothers and everybody else vouching for you and say, yes, he's good to go. He's not going to be an outsider. They need to know that you're going to be team department, whatever that is, whatever that entity is. They're going to need to know you're team sheriff. So if some stuff goes down, which we know in the news and in these communities lately, Normally, something negative is always going down, interaction with law enforcement in these particular cities. Uh, they need to know if they hire you, you're going to be pro then. You're not going to be going and filing grievances and filing. Uh, 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 um, you're not going to be standing with the protesters. So they have a certain profile of people that they try to minimize in their hiring pool. Is that what you're saying? There you go. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I like wow. to reiterate, you're not getting on that department unless somebody vouches for you. They have to co-sign. Jeez, that's some mafia stuff right there. <laughs> oh, Literally. all day long. It's always been like that. And then, on the other hand, uh, Dr. Miles, you got the union. The union is so powerful. It's so powerful. And let's go back to the union in Department of Corrections. Most of those guys don't have college degrees. 
They're all on the executive staff of the union. They don't have college degrees. Yeah, they got the attorneys that work for them. They done been to school, but the president, the vice president, the treasurer, the secretary, all of those folks, they ain't got no. I want to ask they you. They, Go ahead. Doctor. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, they don't. They just don't. They need to be team player. That's how. And I, this goes all the way. I know we done digress and went all the way off to something else, but uh, I feel really passionate about how this, how this, how these, 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 uh, these departments, how they operate, and how I see people get up on TV and uh, uh, interviews and things of that nature, and they just say, "Well, you know, uh, they're qualified for this," but they have already been vetted. If they're coming up through the ranks and they're, like, for instance, they're going for chief of police, and um, they've already done what probably could be considered dirt. They've already done the dirt, so they know that they can be trusted. They're going to be pro-department because it's a responsibility of the chief of whatever sheriff, police department, it's their responsibility to make sure that um, uh, they protect the community. But those officers in those departments have to know that the police officers come first. Wow! Over the over the community over the community. That's 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 on that's unbelievable. Well, I got to ask you. We close them up on our last segment of the show. I want to ask you. Um, I'm gonna have to bring you back for a second show. I don't even think we even touched the surface of this. Uh, what are some uh, <laughs> What are some tips you want to leave with the audience seeking information about prison administration and job advancement? What are some tips you want to leave with the audience? Um, I think it's important to understand the challenges that affect these African-American women, especially in the 21st century. Yes. Discrimination practices is, and the hiring practices still prevalent, still going on, racism, sexism. Uh, it's just, it's still there. These women are less likely than the men are to, to, to associate the, uh, with leadership. And it's so many things going against these women. Uh, once again, yeah, it's just so many things that's going against them that it looks like they can easily say, oh, they don't want to come to Sacramento. Oh, they don't want to uh, promote. Well, once again, I, I, I beg to differ, Dr. Miles. They want to promote. They know that they're more qualified. They know that they're more experienced. They're more, they know that they're more trained, but they're not being asked. They're not being, it's not being offered to them. See, because when you go to Sacramento, normally you get that phone call in the middle of the night. Hey, I got a position for you. You want to come up here? Or do your due diligence, look into it, see what's going on. 
goodness. But now this, now this, now this black woman, uh, you know, I know I said it is more than likely it's probably a single mom with teenage kids. Mm-hmm. However, what about the mom or the, the black woman that has a husband and he's got a secure job and he's going, they want him to come from the Oregon border to a prison up there called Pelican Bay. Okay. Um, um, Jeez. Is he going to come down? To, is he going to come down to Sacramento? And he works over in the Oregon side, so he doesn't work in California. He works in Oregon side. He's an executive doing his thing up there. But is he going to relocate or tell tell wife go ahead and take that position, go on to Sacramento, and uh, I'll hold the fort down up here? And it's not the same as it is making that type of decision for a woman than it is a man. A man can say, pack it up, let's roll. Right. So that's definitely a difference. Goodness. Definitely well, a difference. We'll get to the close of our show. How do uh, how, uh, the listeners want to reach you? How, do they, how can they get in contact with you? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, the best way to reach me is my email, um, akm90045 at gmail.com. Wonderful. I thank you to be getting some email. I hope but. so. I hope so. I'd love to talk about it more. Um, I know in the very beginning we we started off, and, you know, I was uh, – it took a second for me to get a little bit more relaxed and, you know, kind of um, get get into it. But, yeah, I'm very passionate. Um, I can't wait to um, share the information with um, my participants that took part in it. Oh, and that's right. You I have wanted... a book coming out, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I do. right. You I have do. a new book I coming do. out. Oh, wow. So, I can't um, wait to get a copy yeah. of that. Man. Yeah. And so, um, and the ladies, I know I wanted to, I didn't get a chance to mention this, but the ladies that participated wanted to make sure that the safety and the confidentiality of their identity was heavily stressed. And some of them chose, some of them chose not to uh, go forward or move forward with uh, participating until that was secured. So that's how, that's how prevalent it was. And unfortunately, there were some that chose not to participate due to they knew that if they told their story, that they would be identifiable. And some some had lawsuits. A lot of the ladies, uh, Dr. Miles, had lawsuits that they had filed, either under racism, sexism, or sexual harassment with the state of California, and they won. Hey, Dr. Miller, that's, we're going to have to close our show. That's a riveting show. Would you be interested in coming back and speaking more on this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure by then I will have even more information. That would be great. That would be great. All righty. Well, this is our show. We've got to definitely bring Dr. Miller back. Um, Dr. Miller, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You were awesome. I really enjoyed our show today. Goodness. goodness. Okay. All right. And I enjoyed I enjoyed it too. I uh, appreciate you. 
All righty, guys, we're out of here. This is our show for today. This is Game on Business Talk with Dan Miles. I will see you next time. I won't say week, next time. But thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, I'm out of here. Thank you for tuning in to Game on Business Talk Radio with host D. Anthony Miles.